everyone, and welcome to The Pactum. I'm Mike Grimes here with Pat Avendroth, and we have an outstanding show for you today where we're going to be discussing Christ in the classic book Christianity and Liberalism. But before we go too much further, we want to let you know that you need to be sure to listen all the way to the end of today's episode. Special announcement. Here Special it comes. Announcement. We have our very first Pactum Trivia. It's going to be a Machin Trivia contest at the end of the episode. Giving away Machin merch. Machin How merch. about that? Pactum Trivia. That even sounds good. Pactum Trivia. I like uh-huh. it. I like it a lot. Before we go any further, Mike, I want to know what you did for Easter. Easter weekend was this past weekend. And I'm just curious if you did anything special. We didn't really do anything too special. We did have some family in town just at the beginning of the weekend, not for Easter specifically. Um, went to the zoo, did some fun stuff, had soccer games, um, and then Easter Sunday church, you know, till one thirty in the afternoon, and then just pretty low-key the rest of the weekend. You know what I really want to know? I just want to know what you ate. What we, was on the menu? Tell me something do, interesting. Sunday night, we did do our Easter dinner. We had ham. We had corn casserole. I like more of the you know scallop corn, but the corn casserole is a big thing in my wife's family, so I go with it. Is that like cream corn? Because I hate cream it's corn. It's not like cream corn. Oh, my, my wife loves it, and we're still arguing no, and fighting about I it. I tell you. But then we did... All, she tried a new one. We did loaded... Twice baked potato casserole. That was fantastic. That sounds like something that Chiefs fans eat. It, they do. We do. They, they yep. do. What's the weirdest thing you've ever eaten? The weirdest thing I've ever eaten, probably. I want alligator frogs. I don't know something like alligator that. frogs. Al- well. Did they have those at the zoo when you were there this weekend in Louisiana? We had some friends who used to live in Louisiana. Alligator slash or frogs and yeah. or frogs. And or frogs. I thought you were going to say like lobster since you're allergic to shell food. I can't have that. Shellfish, not shell food. Shell, yeah, all shellfish and fish can't do it. Food is on my mind because this morning in theology for breakfast, I was reviewing a book with those who were there, and we were reviewing a book that was written by a theonomist, and he was going on and on about how uh, Christians need to follow the dietary laws for Christians in Leviticus 11 (laughs) and making fun of people for eating things like lobster and shrimp. (laughs) And I thought of you, uh, not because you're a theonomist, (laughs) but because uh, you're allergic. So maybe you would make a good theonomist. Maybe I would. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. Here, Christian dietary food laws in Leviticus 11. It's crazy. Uh, No wonder they get justification by grace alone through faith alone wrong. They've never read Acts chapter 10 to find out they can go ahead and eat seafood. <laughs> what would you guys have for Easter? Did you eat seafood? We did not. No. I just wanted to talk about talk about the anonymous. <laughs> what did we have? I don't know what we had. We had some ham and we had some pork loin. We visited Molly's parents. We haven't seen them since July because of COVID. And so it was good to get away and catch up with family a little bit. That's great. But the meals were were pretty standard fare. I guess it's time to move on and start talking about our chapter. Our chapter is chapter four. I know it's different for some folks. Uh, We're in the book Christianity and Liberalism. As a reminder, in case you're just tuning in, uh, not political liberalism, uh, but theological liberalism. And what Machen is basically saying is... uh, there are Christians, and then there are those who are part of a different religion. They're not actually the same. Maybe today we might call them theological progressives mm. or progressive Christians. Machen would say, no, they're actually not Christians, and it would just be better if they would have more integrity and be honest and come up with a different name because the name Christian is actually for those who believe in the supernatural. So that's what the whole book is about. Chapter 4 deals with Christ, which is wonderful. 
uh, if you are preparing to read the chapter, uh, what you'll find is there is a fair amount of repetition. It's not the easiest chapter in the world to read, though it's not that difficult. But there's a lot of overlap, and there's a lot of repetition, as I said. And there's a lot of repetition, as I said. And there's a lot of repetition, as I said. <laughs> the needle stuck. <laughs> it, it stuck. So what we're going to do is we're going to divide the, our discussion up into seven different headings to make it a little bit more palatable uh, as we have this conversation together. So we want to jump right in, and the first section is one in which Machen contrasts Jesus as a mere example with Jesus as the object of faith. And he says liberalism regards him, Jesus, as an example and guide, Christianity as a savior. Liberalism makes him an example for faith, Christianity the object of faith faith. Yeah. So I've heard that so many times and regurgitated it so many times that it makes good sense to me, but perhaps those concepts and categories are new for some of you who are listening. So since these categories might be new for you, uh, I'm going to put Pastor Mike Grimes on the spot. I don't know if I've ever actually referred to Mike as Pastor Mike Grimes, um, <laughs> but I'm going to do that now. You know, that book I was talking about earlier that I reviewed that I can't get out of, out of my head, uh, the endorsers were so humble uh, that they uh, referred to themselves as something like the Reverend Wright Doctor. <laughs> so I think all Christians should be humble because Philippians 2 says we should be and we're to follow Jesus' example, <laughs> which we should. Yes. And so I think I'm going to start calling you the Reverend Wright Dr. Mike Grimes. You know, I have been referred to as the Reverend. The before. Reverend. Yes, in the, a service I did. It's the funniest the re- thing. The Reverend uh, Wright Dr. Mike Grimes. When I rode motorcycles, when I had a Harley Davidson, I wanted to get Rev on, on the license plate because I thought that would be cool. Yeah, that would have been awesome. So, Mike, help our listeners understand what we mean when we say object of faith. Right. Yeah, so we think about faith. We're talking about trust. Good. And if we have an object of faith, it's something that we're placing our faith or our trust in. Like, simple example, I'm sitting in a chair. I am placing my faith in this chair. I'm trusting that this chair is going to hold me up. I'm following you. Right? That makes sense. And so when we're talking about faith in Christ— Christ is the object of our faith. It's not faith or hope in faith, right? but it's faith in an object, which is the person and work of Jesus Christ. So Machen would affirm the fact that Jesus is a great example. Yes. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, first and foremost, in biblical Christianity, I repeat myself, uh, in biblical Christianity, he is the object of faith, right. first and foremost. Yes. We're trusting in him and his work. Yep. Elsewhere in the chapter, Machen says Jesus was not for Paul merely an example for faith. He was primarily the object of faith. And I thought it was interesting in the chapter uh, how Machen does highlight imitation of Christ, because here we're talking about Christ as the object of faith, not just the example. But Machen does highlight the fact that even with Paul, the Apostle Paul, he doesn't shy away from talking about Christ as an example to be followed. So it's both and, right? Right. It's both and. But it's if you put all that emphasis on imitation, we're just going to follow Jesus and be like Jesus— that's a foul. Back to the what would Jesus do? Right. So right. what we don't want to do is make a false choice. Both things are true, but when people are trying to somehow maneuver their way outside of biblical Christianity, they emphasize the wrong thing uh, to the exclusion of something else that's really important. Right. Machen says, the plain fact is that imitation of Jesus, important though it was for Paul, was swallowed up by something far more important still, not the example of Jesus, 
but the redeeming work of Jesus was the primary thing for Paul. So it's both and, but it's not overemphasizing imitating Jesus. It's making sure to have those ducks in the right order. And how many times do we hear Christians today speak and talk and preach as if the ultimate is the example of Jesus? Yes, all the time. When in fact, the ultimate is what he did for us. Going back to the dated issue now, but what would Jesus do? Well, that's an important question, but the answer is Jesus would always do the perfect thing, right. uh, which takes us into the realm of law. Mm-hmm. And in so many ways, if our religion is the religion of what would Jesus do, we're all damned Yes, because none of us will be able to live up to his uh, level of excellency, uh, obedience, perfection. Uh, he did everything absolutely perfectly right all of the time. So what would Jesus do? He would do the right thing always. Yeah. And if that's uh, the gospel, uh, there's condemnation for us, not justification. Yeah. So we need him to be an example, yes, to show us our need, our guilt, if you will. But we also need him to do more for us to make atonement and also to provide perfect righteousness for us. Yeah. It struck me as significant when I was reading the chapter that Machen is not giving anyone and everyone who speaks about Jesus a free pass. Hmm. Many, many preachers, he will say, speak about Jesus. In fact, they seem to be enamored with the name of Jesus. He says the name of Jesus is always on their lips, but they're talking about his example, not his work. And he's saying that's absolutely a foul and you're not representing the religion known as the historic Christian faith. Mm. So I would encourage everyone as they're listening and trying to be discerning as you're doing so, remember, it's not enough to talk a lot about Jesus. Just because someone talks a lot about Jesus doesn't mean they're preaching the gospel or they're being Christ-centered or they're even speaking like authentic Christians. Mm. Because if the example of Jesus is where the emphasis is... (laughs) Um, There's a problem because what's central is what Jesus did, what he did for us on the cross, not as a martyr example, though he was that he was faithful, but he is the propitiation for our sins, the just for the unjust. And so let's be thinking clearly about this in our ministries and as we're being good listeners and Bereans. Yeah. So I'm just going to throw this out there. Is it possible that many of our even leading evangelicals could be preaching like liberals? Follow Jesus, follow Jesus, follow Jesus, follow Jesus. Should we follow Jesus? Absolutely, Absolutely. we should. We don't, so we need atonement for actually being bad at following Jesus. Right Now, there is the other side of things. Once we're in Christ by faith and we're trusting in his work, now we actually do want to do the right thing uh, out of a position of safety, uh, no longer being condemned, having been justified by faith. Now, as Reformed theologians would say, there's the third use of the law, which really could come to us in the form of now we follow Jesus. We want to obey and do what he says. But to reverse the order, uh, even if we're the most right-wing, fiery, fundamentalist kind of preacher who says that they're conservative and all the rest, you actually sound like a liberal. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe we should have a contest about this too. Send <laughs> us your vote for your very favorite evangelical preacher who actually sounds like a liberal. Yeah. No, don't do that. <laughs> 
So let's move into our next category from the chapter, and that is an objection to Christianities. Now, Machen does not use the actual label Christianities, but we're using it because it is what current theological liberals use, and they're talking about the same thing that Machen was talking about. Today, Bart Ehrman is an apologist for, I would say, atheism. He's, an, he's antagonistic against biblical Christianity, and people read him as if somehow he has these bright new ideas and no one has ever thought of them before. But in his book, Christianities, or in his book, Lost Christianities, in essence, he's just taking a play out of the old playbook of theological liberalism and saying, well, the apostle Paul had a certain kind of faith. Mm. The other apostles had a certain kind of faith. They believed in a different kind of Jesus, which might've been even different from Jesus. And if we talk about the primitive Christians, Mm. uh, theirs would even be different. And Machen says, that's a bunch of baloney theologically. Yeah. Uh, that, that's actually not true. He says, Paul was not the first to make Jesus the object of faith. Right. So uh, there, there's, one, there's one Christian faith that's been delivered to the saints, yeah. according to Jude. And there's not all of these different versions. The Apostle Paul in Acts 15 was accepted by the Jerusalem Council. Uh, Machen elaborates on this. Paul was in no disagreement with those who had been apostles before him. Had there been such disagreement, the right hand of fellowship uh, would not have been offered to him as he discusses in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9. In addition, on this one, he says primitive Christianity, and he's probably borrowing verbiage. Mm. Is it verbiage or verbiage? Verbi- ver- whichever sounds good. The Reverend Wright Doctor <laughs> we didn't Pastor cover that in Mike Grimes. <laughs> <laughs> he's borrowing. He's likely, and he does this quite often, I think, and this might help you as you're reading the book. He uses their verbiage, um, and he uses it in a proper way, but he's using it with a little bit of, I don't know if sarcasm is the right word, but he'll borrow from them to make his point since they borrowed from us to try to steal our point. So primitive Christianity certainly did not consist in the mere imitation of Jesus. So when Paul says justification by grace alone through faith alone on account of Christ alone, well, he never actually says that, (laughs) but if that's actually what he's getting at in teaching, it's not new, it's not different, it's the same. Perhaps there are different emphases in different books of the Bible, but actually they're all saying the same thing. Right. This leads us into our third and related category, the historical Jesus. Ooh, that sounds good. It does, yeah. And surely our listeners have noticed this time of year, Easter, and then also at Christmas, maybe in the grocery store line, there's Time Magazine articles, there's documentaries, PBS, everywhere you see them covering the historic Jesus or unearthing some facts about the historic Jesus. And it always seems to be the same. I can remember being a new Christian thinking, oh, this is exciting. Yeah, you know? this is good stuff. I'm a Christian. I'm going to read this article. But even as a new Christian, I would read it and think, that's not what the Bible teaches. Yeah. In fact, you're talking about the historic Jesus. And, and in fact, that's exactly the opposite of what the Bible teaches. And then the more you learn and the more you read scholarly books and engage in argumentation, you find out these are just theological liberals. And the last thing they want in the world is for Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, to be the historic Jesus. And so just know that when someone typically nine times out of 10 refers to the historic Jesus, you need to give it the sniff test, (laughs) the theological (laughs) sniff test. Just know that they're trying to sell you oceanfront property in Nebraska (laughs) because the reality is they typically mean a Jesus they've created according to their own liking and their own image. 
Now, I'll be honest, I actually like to use the title, mm. uh, sort of like Machen does. Maybe I'll give him credit. Uh, I like using the title in preaching and in having conversations because the fact of the matter is we actually are talking about the historic Jesus. Right. Yeah. Uh, we are talking about the real history, the real Jesus, supported not only in the Bible, but in extra-biblical sources. If you want to believe in the Jesus of the Bible, there is enough historic evidence for you to not be a fool to believe in the Jesus of the Bible. For the theological liberals, they want Jesus, again, not to be a substitute to make atonement for sin because that's offensive. Uh, It would assume then that people are sinful and not perfect in and of themselves or in need of a a little boost. Uh, what they want is Jesus just to be a good teacher. Yeah. And so Machen says things like this in response. The Jesus spoken of in the New Testament was no mere teacher of righteousness, no mere pioneer in a new type of religious life, but one who was regarded and regarded himself as the savior whom men could trust, mm. object of yeah faith, not mere example. The historic Jesus is the Jesus who sees himself as the savior that sinners need. Yes. So before we move on, and since we're talking about history and Machen, let's consider some of Machen's personal history. Mike, can you guess what Machen considered to be the best and simplest pleasure that a man can possibly have? Mm Mm-hmm. I'm really not sure. Probably lobster. Probably not lobster, (laughs) though he may have said that as well. He said it's walking. Walking. So the man loved to walk. He loved to walk so much, and he was enough of a libertarian uh, that he was upset when they were introducing jaywalking, laws against jaywalking in his city. And uh, he thought the car should stop for the people, not vice versa, and it would interfere with his walking. And so he was upset about that. So. Kind of interesting. Uh, Another thing that Machen found delightful was when he was at Princeton, he loved having the men, he was single his whole life, um, he loved having the men come over to his room. Hmm. He says, the fellows are in my room now on the last Sunday night, I think he's writing to his mother, smoking the cigars and eating the oranges, which have been the greatest delight I have ever to provide whenever possible. My idea of delight is a Princeton room full of fellows smoking. And then, funny enough, here, uh, this, this is just at the point where I think I might start smoking because I like Machen so much, um, but I'm not going to because he says, when I think what a wonderful aid tobacco is to friendship and Christian patience, I have sometimes regretted that I've never began to smoke. That's wild. <laughs> The fellows are sitting around smoking the cigars, eating the oranges. The oranges that he the provides. Oranges. That's awesome. So that's from Stonehouse's biography that I really enjoy by Banner of Truth, if anybody wants to pick that up. That's fascinating. We can link to that in the show notes for you so you can read about the oranges. And yet my favorite thing about Machen when it comes to his personal history, apart from theology, is the fact that Machen, wait for it, ready, ready to be motivated, it is that Machen was a cyclist. A cyclist. He referred to his bike as the wheel. The wheel? That's awesome. He has the wheel. And on one occasion when he lived in Germany, he did a 450-mile bike ride. Serious. How about that? What's the furthest you've ever ridden? Oh, 130 maybe or something like that. So Now, I don't think he did it all at once, but he went went on a journey, on a trek. So uh, 
Not on a Trek bicycle, but right. anyway. <laughs> so I am motivated to not smoke so I can ride 450 there miles someday like Machen. Pat, do you have so, any other useless information to share with us before we move on to our next <laughs> section? <laughs> no more useless information supposed to fire your imagination. Oh, that's funny. Well, let's move into our fourth category that we want to cover from the chapter, and that is of sin, the law, and Christ. Oh, you know what's going to happen here? You know already, you wouldn't even have to guess based upon what we know, Machen's going to talk about the sinfulness of sin. He's going to talk about your need for Christ because you're condemned under the law, under the law and what theological liberal in their wrong mind uh, would accept such things. Right. Am I right? Yeah. Okay. Well, why don't you go ahead and read that first quotation? Machen says, once affirm that Jesus was sinless and all other men sinful and you have entered into the twilight zone. <laughs> it, do, it does not say he that. Does, does. The Reverend Wright, Dr. Mike, is telling <laughs> lies. He says, you have entered into irreconcilable conflict with the whole modern point of view. Preach about sin with clarity, not in some sort of generic sense, Machen would say, but with clarity as in you and all like you have violated the law of God and are worthy of condemnation. And your only hope is in God's provision of a sacrifice. And you can be guaranteed opposition yeah. by theological liberalism. Right. Uh, and that's just how it is. It'll always be that way. And Machen knows that it's okay. If Christ is a great and wonderful Savior, and he is, we, we need to tell people about this. Yeah. We need to speak what's truthful, not what is necessarily palatable. Right. Yep. He also says, without the conviction of sin, there can be no appreciation for the uniqueness of Jesus. Mm. How great is that? Yeah, Just really hitting the nail on the head. It is only when we contrast our sinfulness with his holiness that we appreciate the gulf that separates him from the rest of the children of men. And without the conviction of sin, there can be no understanding of the occasion for the supernatural act of God. Without the conviction of sin, the good news of redemption seems to be an idle tale. Some of you may appreciate that Machen here does do a little bit of mocking of the liberal position on who they said Jesus was. Well, he might be sinless, but he might not be. And how can we really know? And surely he was better than most people. Yeah. I mean, Machen says in his perplexity, talking about the liberal, he apt to be content with the assertion that whether Jesus was sinless or not, he was at any rate immeasurably above the mm. rest of us. So he was at least, I mean, we can be sure of this, that he was a great guy. Uh, whether Jesus was sinless is an academic question. We shall probably be told, he says. That concerns the mysteries of the absolute. We can't really know these things to be sure. So a good label for that would be subterfuge. Subterfuge. One of my favorite words. <laughs> so this word. is pious-sounding subterfuge. So people sound, oh, maybe that might be how it is, but we can't know. We can't know for sure. And Machen makes the, the, the point clearly in the chapter that we actually can know because, as we said in, a, in another episode, he's not Jesus is not the strong, silent type. Yeah. He made it very clear he was the strong type, but he also spoke um, about who he was and who people were, that they're, they're separated, separated from God. And he uses his favorite word, I think, by an awful yeah. gulf, mm -hmm. and that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is the one who can provide redemption and reconciliation. Yeah. So it's, it's not cool to sound 
pious and mysterious and say things like we just can't know when in reality we can know and it's disingenuous to say that we can't know when in fact we can know. So many times, Mike, we're told that uh, we're arrogant and prideful if we can know things. Mm. And, And in reality, if Jesus has been clear and spoken, we should know things and to say we can't know things is actually arrogant and prideful. Right. Yeah. So we need to keep that straight in our minds, especially living in the day that we live in. So let's move into our fifth category from the chapter. And this is Jesus was not the first Christian. Machen says, according to modern liberalism, think Christian progressives, quote unquote. In other words, Jesus was the founder of Christianity because he was the first Christian and Christianity consists in maintenance of the religious life. Oh, that sounds like the religious life, which (laughs) Jesus instituted. But, but was Jesus really a Christian or to put the same question in another way? Are we able or ought we as Christians to enter in every respect into the experience of Jesus and make him in every respect, our example? Hmm. So obviously the answer is no. Jesus is a perfect example. And if he's the standard, you're damned because you can't, can't meet up to the standard. Right. But at the same time, we have to remember that in biblical Christianity, what we're talking about is the one who is the last Adam, hmm. the one who is doing the right thing, the one who is tempted by Satan uh, in the garden, if you will, and he overcomes the temptation and he defeats Satan. He is the one who rightly represents his people and saves them. And so it really doesn't make a lot of sense. It's an identity confusion disorder of sorts Mm -hmm. to think that somehow we're supposed to follow all of his example when in fact he's doing what he does on, on our behalf. So be cautious, be careful when you're reviewing curriculum, perhaps when you're reading Christian books, when you're listening to Christian, Christian sermons or preparing them, leading Bible studies, we have this penchant and desire for application, which is good. Mm -hmm. We want to be doers of the word and not only hearers of the word, Mm -hmm. but in the right sense, we want to do that. We want to have things in the right order with the right categories. Jesus is savior before he is example for us as Christians. And things get kind of silly, actually, sometimes in this desire to have a Christian way of doing everything, and it's always following Jesus. Mike, I can remember being a speaker uh, for a camp for Christian athletes, and they were talking about doing sports God's way, Hmm. and they had these young men and women, high school, middle schoolers, and they're playing basketball, and then they would blow the whistle and stop them and, and, and ruffle everyone and kind of startle everyone and say, okay, now. What would Jesus do at this point in time? <laughs> and I just thought, well, Jesus would score. <laughs> yeah, he'd score. He'd win. <laughs> Jesus would never miss a shot. Yeah. He would block every shot. He would never have a turnover. He would never do anything wrong. And it would be 100 to zero. Yeah. So there is that. Yeah. What would Jesus do? He would always be successful. So again, I can't do what Jesus did. Now they were trying to get at something else and it's, well, actually, I don't even know what they're trying to get at, but it was, I said, you know, there's a Christian way to win a Christian way to lose and let's have good attitudes and show the fruit of the spirit. Um, but we, it can become ridiculous rather quickly. Yeah. And here again, by Bible believing Christians who mean well, Mm -hmm. and they don't realize it, but they're aping theological liberals who hate Christ 
and yet they're sounding just like him. Yeah, absolutely. And so we, we need a good dose of Machen. We need more Machen reading groups. Yeah. We need more people to revisit Machen and say, how is it that we sound like this today? As I've been saying over and over again, uh, to, today's evangelicals sound like yesterday's theological liberals. Yep, and I'll say it one more time, and not to be mean-spirited, but this is a matter of Machen's warrior children, so I guess we are venting a little bit. That's right. Well, as we're Machen's warrior children, we want to march on to the next category in the chapter for today, and that is a category of miracles. To get right to it, Machen realizes and knows that more people would accept the Bible if it didn't have any miracles in it. Machen says, it may certainly be admitted that if the New Testament narrative had no miracles in it, it would be far easier to believe. It would be far easier to believe. The more commonplace a story is, the easier it is to, to accept as true. But commonplace narratives have little value. The New Testament without the miracles would be far easier to believe. But the trouble is, it would not be worth believing. Yeah. So you can try to take the miraculous out of it, but if you take the miraculous out of it, you actually have no hope. Right. Yep. So resurrection, atonement, all of these things, you, you just destroy the whole thing. Right. And that's why Machen says elsewhere, without the miracles, we should have a teacher. And with the miracles, we have a savior. So take the miracles out or somehow try to explain them away. And you may have a religion, but it doesn't make any sense. Mm. Um, and you have no hope. Right. You of all people should be pitied most, the Apostle Paul would say. So, Mike, I wonder maybe if we could do a little dramatization here, because I know you're into the arts. I am into the um, arts. <laughs> and I love theater people. So <laughs> since you come from that kind of background, I thought maybe we could you know, benefit from your, your education. I know it costs you a lot of money um, <laughs> to go to that fancy school in Tennessee. So what, what would a theological liberal sound like? Uh, perhaps let's talk about Jesus and feeding the 5,000 plus oh, the, yes. the women and children. Yes. Um, maybe if you're a theological liberal, uh, what would be quote unquote miraculous about feeding the 5,000 if Jesus didn't actually uh, supernaturally create the fish uh, and the bread? Uh, maybe what, what could a possible like William Barclay, the old <laughs> liberal commentator kind of miracle look like? Well, Can you know, you the, do miracle, that for us? Yeah, the miracle, not really, it's not, Jesus. It's not that he would feed the thousands. The miracle is the child, the small, helpful, giving child who would love others enough to provide a meal to help and serve others. So the miracle <laughs> is the boy shared. He shares. And it was infectious. It was. Indeed, it was infectious. And before you know it, the true miracle was all of those selfish people that actually had food yes. began to share with they did others. Begin to share. So the miracle was people are good inside. They just need a little coaxing. Yes. They, they just need, need a good example to share what they perhaps have. because of childlike faith yes. of this young boy. Yes. And then they all shared and, and there was plentiful. Yes. There and were, you too can share what you have. And you can do this. You too can be a miracle, a miracle worker. To provide for Stop. <laughs> Stop. And it all becomes ridiculous. It's like the other commentary, the commentator that wrote it a similar time. Uh, God didn't part the Red Sea or the Red Sea at the time when it was supposedly parted uh, wasn't very deep. Uh, it was only about knee deep. Mm. Uh, and so that actually was how they crossed the Red Sea. Yep. And smart mouthed uh, conservative Bible believers would say, oh, so it's a greater miracle. You have an entire army drowning in, in knee deep yeah, water. Knee deep water. <laughs> right. 
So the the bottom line is, don't, don't be an idiot. Um, <laughs> just believe in Jesus as he said, or don't, but don't hijack the label Christianity right. and make it into something ridiculous. That's right. That domain name is taken. The domain name Hands off. is taken. Hence, hence, therefore, it would behoove you. It would behoove you. That's right. <laughs> not to go back and call yourself a Christian if you're not a Christian. Though That's we want right. people to call themselves Christians yes. at the Pactum, and we want you to believe in the true biblical, historic Jesus yes. who was miraculous in his dealings with humankind. Yes, absolutely. Which brings us to number seven. This is also something beyond the lab here in the 21st century. We can't replicate this. Right. We have no point of comparison, and that would be the humanity and deity of Christ. Jesus was a human being, and he also was divine. Not yeah. figuratively divine uh, in a serendipitous kind of way, but literally, actually, the eternal God mm. who became one of us, incarnate in the flesh. So Machen says he was a true man. So he's truly God, and he is also a true man. The, right. the liberal Jesus actually is a different kind of Jesus than the Christian Jesus. Yeah. Machen says the liberal Jesus, despite all the efforts of modern psychological reconstruction to galvanize him into life, remains a manufactured figure of the stage. Very different is the Jesus of the New Testament and of the great scriptural creeds. That Jesus is indeed mysterious. Who can fathom the mystery of his person? But the mystery is a mystery in which a man can rest. The Jesus of the New Testament has at least one advantage over the Jesus of modern reconstruction. He is real. I love that. That's so awesome. So good. You want to know what the advantage is? He's real. He's not made up. And he continues on. He is not a manufactured figure suitable as a point of support for ethical maxims, but a genuine person whom a man can love. Excellent. That is so good. I like it that he points out the fact that there is mystery involved. Yeah. And sometimes we forget the fact that we as Christians are people who embrace mystery. Yes. We say he is God. He's the eternal one who said, I am before Abraham was, I am. And he also is the one who became one of us as mm -hmm. a real human being, as a member of the human race so that he could be our re representative as the last Adam. Yeah. So I want to encourage everyone with the fact that we need to need to remember that both are true. Mm -hmm. And we'll have to say we don't know exactly how that can be. Right. It is a mystery to us. But the Bible does teach he is a true man, to quote Machen, and he is truly God. Mm -hmm. He is the God man. We need him to be if he's going to be our savior. Yeah. And sometimes the pendulum swings in one direction and we overcorrect in the other direction. Yeah. So we're busy defending his deity and we forget about why he has to be human right. or vice versa. Yeah. Uh, I personally think that we've been defending his deity uh, for a number of years now in evangelicalism yeah. and we've forgotten why he has to be a human being. Yeah. Uh, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the, la the last Adam, the one yeah. who fulfills the law for us. And many Christians actually don't know why he has to be human. And so I'm drawn toward preaching texts like Hebrews chapter yep. two yep. or other ones, reminding, reminding people uh, why it actually is both and both are critical. Uh, both are beyond our replicating. There is no good example. There's no good illustration. Jesus is God. Jesus is man. And we need him to be both if he's going to be our savior.
So as we wrap up the show, let's circle back to our contest we mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Hopefully you've made it all the way through the episode. Pactum Trivia, and we have Machin merch for the Pactum Trivia. We do. And whoever can email us the correct answer to this question, uh, and we are recording this in early April yep. uh, 2021. And so if you're listening to this in 2050, That's right. uh, just know that um, if, I mean, if you have the right answer, you can send it, but we'll pretty much in the next week, yes. 2021, this month in April, yeah. we'll take the right answer. Otherwise, I'm claiming it for myself. There you go. So for those of you who are uncovering the time machine and unearthing it, we do want you to read the classic book, Christianity and Liberalism, uh, but we have no special Machen merch, Pactum Trivia Contest for you. That's right. Sorry, we are an equal opportunity podcast, um, but there are limits. Yes, there are. So our Pactum trivia about Machen, what is, what is the prize? So the prize is going to be an autographed copy Whoa. of one of Machen's texts. Ooh. I'm not sure if it's going to be Christianity and liberalism or a different text, uh, but one of Machen's books signed by none other because I have a family connection signed by none other than Jay Gresham himself. No way. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. We, we have a signed copy and all we need is the right answer. And then we'll get your address, contact information, and we will send you a signed copy of one of Machen's works by none other than Jay Gresham himself. All right. So what's the question? What is the, what is the trivia? Here's question? the question. So make sure you get this right. According to Machen, what two institutions did Germany need most? Ooh. There we go. What two institutions, when he was there in Germany, he lets his mother know, I think, what two institutions they need in Germany most. If you can be the first one to submit, how do they get it to yeah, us, Mike? You're going to send us an email. You're gonna send, I, that's old school, but that's how we're going to roll. You're going to send us an email to connect at thepactum.org. Send us the answer to the trivia question, what two institutions did Germany need most to connect at thepactum.org. First one gets a prize of a signed text by Jay Gresham himself. Fantastic. All right, this has been fun, Mike. Thanks for doing it. And uh, I'm going to go get some lobster and celebrate my <laughs> non-theonomy support. And I'll be thinking of you. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate that. And we will see you next time on The Pactum. The Pactum.